Hey there, welcome to the show. Wow, I can't believe it. We're almost at the end of June, which reminds me, by the way, next week, just so you know, we've got a real estate talk triangle and that's going to be featuring my panelists, Dave Butler, and we've got Tim, uh, Tim Sirianos joining us as usual. So looking forward to that. Always a great conversation. And speaking of a great conversation, I've got three guests lined up. Yeah, I do have Dave joining me again this week. Uh, and as well as next week. But I also have Bryn Lackey. She's a columnist at the uh, Toronto Sun. She's going to be joining us. Also a sales rep at Chestnut Park. And I've got Tim Hudak. He is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association joining me. So great lineup this week as far as guests. And uh, a lot of discussions, obviously, a lot of stuff centered around interest rates and you know what, for a lot of you, you know, and, and, and I appreciate the feedback. A lot of people like me to kind of go off and get uh, get a little bit uh, vocal on a few things. So, you know what, this week I am really going to rev up my rant because it is about interest rates. And so I've got an interest rate rant for you. I need to get some things off my chest. I've been kind of keeping it kind of low key for the last little while, trying not to, you know, school a few people on a lot of these headlines that keep coming up. And I got to tell you, you know, I am getting so sick and tired of the fear mongering that is being put into the marketplace. And no, I do not, you know, come off with this rant just because I, you know, have real estate, you know, and we're in the real estate investment business. This has nothing to do with that. This has got everything to do with the numbers. So I'm going to throw some numbers at you today. And I'm just going to try to explain to you what kind of marketplace we are dealing with today and why. You know, people have got to stop saying things such as one in four Canadians could lose their homes. Okay, listen, that that right out of the gate, just, you know, it irks me something fierce. So I want to get that one off my chest first. So let's just do some math for a second. So interest rates have only started to go up. Let's say we call it, you know, March, and that's when the first interest rate hiked. So everything before that interest rates were historically low. What do most people do when they talk about interest rates? Well, you know, for safety's sake, a lot of people go to a five-year term mortgage, right? So that means that whatever interest rate you locked in, it's called a fixed rate mortgage, whatever interest rate you locked in, it's going to be like that for the next five years. So we saw some real low interest rates, you know, just before the increase. So people are getting 2.2, 2.4, 1.9 for five years. So if we know that the next five years, the people that just got their interest rates done, that means they don't have to worry about anything for the next five years. So let's go backwards just for a second and say, okay, what about last year? So last year, interest rates were still wickedly low. And so let's talk about that group. So they've got another four years. What about the year before? Okay, what about 2020 when people were turning around, you know, started renewing? We'll talk about, you know, June, July, because that's when interest rates took the big tank. That's when the government, you know, came into place. So we've got a bunch of those people that are looking at another three years. Now, before that, we'd had a little bit of interest rate run up, but we saw people turning around qualifying under the stress test. So, you know what, we got, we had one more year. So, so far, right now, we've got about 80% of the mortgages out there, if they're fixed rate, 80% of the people are still good for at least another year, two, three, four, and five. So, you know, when we start hearing these numbers, you know, it's that fear mongering. And by the way, just so you know, when we were talking about the stress test, everybody had to qualify at basically 4.7%. Today, you can get a variable rate today at around 3%. So, you know what, we're still well below what people were qualifying at. So when we see these headlines, you know what, the, the idea that people are saying, the market's crashing, it's not crashing. 
what's happening is a bunch of people just hopped on the sidelines. That's the truth. If we take a look at the numbers of properties being sold today, we can see that people are saying, okay, let's wait and see what interest rates do before we decide to commit to anything. So you know what? So you get a pullback on the, the amount of volume. So what happens when, when that happens? Well, all of a sudden you will see the average price drop. But here's the thing. When we talk about two, $3 million homes, the people that are looking at those, they're not worried about a quarter of a point or a half a point in an interest rate. Okay, you can't turn around and qualify for a two or three million dollar home if you are that tight to the number. So where does this really have an adverse effect? It's the first time home buyer. And this is the thing. When markets shift, it's always the first time home buyer, first time home seller that get affected the most. So when we take those people off and they, they again, go back to the idea that they're hitting the sidelines just for a little bit, then what do we do? Well, we're going to see some pent up demand come. We've seen it. We've seen it as early as 2018, 2019, interest rates went up, market had gotten a little bit softer. 5%, by the way, was the most that we saw a downturn in a marketplace. You know, we hear, we heard a lot of people saying, well, you know, areas like Richmond Hill market, uh, you know, Markham all dropped by 30%. If you take a two-week high and work on that number, sure. But I can talk to you about that high that we had this year, February. You know, out of control, 15% increase in one month. Guess what? So you wipe out the one month of increase. Okay, does that mean that's the entire market? Well, our measuring tape to market value has to be understood. When we take a look at the numbers that get reported, you can't just take one day, one week, one month. You know, when we talk about the stock market, you know, if you're tr doing day trading, of course, you're going to look at the daily activity. But when you take a look at the overall, you're going to take a look at it for a year. You don't necessarily take a look at it as a daily thing, unless, of course, you're just buying into flipping and leave. Well, for those of you that play that game in real estate, you need to sit there and remember, real estate is actually not just a commodity. It's a necessity. So, you know, we look at people that turn around and buy real estate. Most people that are purchasing real estate today and probably well over 95% are doing it for primary residence. You know, we talk about real estate investment here on the show all the time, but quite frankly, you know, there's not that much transactional real estate happening for real estate investment. And yeah, I know a lot of people were sitting there saying there's this report that said 25% of real estate transactions were being done for people that were speculating in buying investment properties. Well, guess what? If we don't have investment properties, we have no rental market. If we don't have rental market, then what's going to happen to the rents that we see right now? We're seeing them go up. So these are the kind of things that when we talk and report on real estate, I would try to encourage anybody that's writing a column or anybody that's going to be doing any kind of narrative. You know what? Get the facts. Stop using the headlines that some of these major corporations are just throwing out to get everybody excited, wound up, or, you know, whatever's necessary. Because when we take a look at the actual, the real numbers, the stuff that's actually happening today, tomorrow, a month, a year from now, these numbers still show why real estate is what it is. And it is truly a roof over everybody's head. Now, will numbers fluctuate? They always have. But they're normally on a track of increase year over year. We can go back 100 years. We've got the numbers. We can show you the numbers. Yeah. Do you have dips? Yes. Can we talk about 1988, 89 dip? Yeah, of course we can. Can we talk about, you know, the Freddie... Um, the Freddie Mac stuff that ended up happening in the U.S. in 2008? Of course we can. You know, what happened? Over leverage. People turn around and we're, we're actually borrowing on the future. Here in Canada, 
you know, one of the greatest things that happened was that we had, uh, you know, very, very cautious lending, even before the stress test of 2018. The way our mortgage structure has always been is you could never borrow more than the property is going to be worth. In fact, this is why one of the reasons why CMHC was invented was because they could turn around and insure high ratio mortgages so that lenders would never get caught off guard. Okay, so this is why when somebody says, well, I put 10% down, but you've got to have insurance on that. So the, the actual provider of the mortgage is not going to ever be at risk. And this is the kind of thing where Canada has had a stronger mortgage market than any other country. So this whole idea that this is all going to blow up and implode, okay, it's not, we're, we're not talking about 1988 again. Okay, because there wasn't enough buyers. In fact, they had overbuilt. We had too much inventory. We don't have enough inventory. We never have had enough inventory for the last 20 years. And it continues to be a problem. Now, let's throw one more thing into the mix, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up my rant. But here's the thing. We've got more people immigrating into Canada, which means that we've got more people that are going to require a rental property. Because that's normally what new immigrants will do. They'll rent first, and then they'll buy. Now, what happens is that, you know, some of these people that have bought investment properties, guess what? You're going to have a tenant for the next couple of years. Then what happens? Well, maybe the tenant's going to buy the property. And if not, you know, maybe you rent it out to somebody else when they go and buy a property. So you're going to have a shortage on property that people are going to move into. You're going to have a shortage on people properties that people are going to rent. And with the latest announcement, and this is one that I actually believe, is because of the cost of building in Toronto, the GTA area, we're probably going to look at like a cancellation of 5,000 units of new condominiums. So then where are we going to be? Okay, we needed those 5,000 to come into the marketplace. We needed those to get occupied. Again, it's not foreign buyers just sitting there speculating. These actual properties, the ones that would have been recently bought and are getting canceled, these are something that we needed as far as inventory. So every time we take a hit like this, it means that it puts more stress on inventory, which happens naturally in any economy. Any economist will tell you when you have a demand for product and you don't have supply, what happens to price? Now, I know I've been going off a little bit today, but I had to get this off my chest. The whole interest rate idea. Yeah, interest rate's going to go up a little bit more. I can guarantee you that. Bank of Canada is not going to sit there and pull back until they say, look at us, we're heroes, we controlled the, you know, the uh, inflation. But here's the one thing I'm going to sit there and, uh, you know, I'm going to try to encourage the federal government to take a hard, hard look at fuel, okay? Because one of the biggest things right now for inflation is the cost of fuel. That means the, the goods being delivered, the cost to the consumer. This is what is fueling right now inflation more than anything else. It's not the housing prices. Definitely, it's the actual fuel to get the, all the goods to us, you know, to transport everything, to get our food to us, to get everything that we use has to be transported. And at, right now, you know what, if we can implore the government to do anything, you know, start taking a hard look at what you're doing with fuel, okay? Get rid of some of those taxes. Heck, even the U.S. is considering giving a tax reprieve. So, you know what, maybe, maybe the federal government might, you know, help us out a little, and that might help control inflation. In the meantime, Bank of Canada is going to do what they're going to do. So, you know what, anticipate, you know, we'll probably see another increase for the summer. And then from there, they're going to have to take a hard look at what they're doing. So anyways, if you want to find out more about our pro program and what we do, go to thesimpleinvestor.com and uh, happy to answer any questions about what's going on in the world of investment real estate and what we've got coming up because we do have some new releases that we can uh, proudly announce 
and they're going to be coming up in the fall. So really exciting stuff. And yes, investment real estate still works, even with these higher interest rates with our program. Anyways, when we come back, I've got Bryn Lackey joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest joining me, no stranger to the show, Bryn Lackey. She is a real estate columnist from the Toronto Sun and sales rep at Chestnut Park Real Estate. And uh, you know what? She's got great opinions, especially if she's had some coffee. And uh, how are you today, Bryn? Oh, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So, you know, I I, I do like having our conversations because I know you are very much an active realtor in this marketplace. And maybe you can tell us, what do you think of what's going on with the market? I know, you know, interest rates are, are playing a little bit of havoc, I think, on people's attitude. But, you know, I, I, I always caution people that, you know, the sky's not falling. So, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of having two sets of conversations and I mean them both sincerely. So uh, it's a bit tough to reconcile. On the one hand, I'm telling people the sky is not falling. I think we've gotten very, um, we're at this weird moment where buyers sort of grew to expect interest rates being low, low, low like that and sort of assumed that was the new game instead of it being like a little blip that was in their favor for, you know, as long as it, as it lasted. And then on the other hand, you've got these sellers who believe that, you know, real estate only goes up, that their neighbors sold across the street for X, they got 14 offers, you know, so they're kind of um, at odds with one another. And then, you know, so from that sense, I say, yeah, but the market is shifting around and everything is fine. This is really more of a balancing thing. But then on the other hand, you know, simultaneously, I should say, um, I'm telling people that if you don't have to be doing anything right now, this isn't really the time to be dabbling or speculating. Like if you have a baby coming, you need to move. Sure. Let's go, you know, um, hedge our bets on the fact that prices have come down and there are, you know, quote unquote deals to be had if you're planning on staying for a while. But I'm also at the same time encouraging people to just take the summer to just relax and watch and see what happens. You know, Bryn, you mentioned about, you know, pricing coming down a little, but if you and I go year over year, so if we talk about, you know, end of June, 2021, prices are still up about 10%. And, you know, this is, this is one of those things that I always caution people on what timeline they are measuring against. So if we all jump on to the February bandwagon, you know, February actually had this explosion where within a month, it actually went up by 15% in certain neighborhoods. And if you remember, if, if you remember, we went through that exact scenario in February of 2017 prior to the foreign buyer tax being implemented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we all have the recency bias, right? You know, we look at things and we go, okay, well, this is what happened last time. The only reason I sort of, for people where I know it matters, um, we have a confluence of things going on right now that we we haven't had before, right? Like I think from an economic standpoint, yes, we're up year over year and we're certainly up from pandemic. But if what we're looking at is the winding down of that sort of pandemic real estate boom, you know, I, I think that yes, we're still in a much better position than we were a year ago, but it's just hard to know what the actual um, what the scope of what we're looking at is. So that's where I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think that, you know, for the sky to fall, suddenly the entire um, population of Toronto needs to decide they're moving to Calgary, right? Like I think <laughs> ultimately if people have to live here, they're going to have to live here. But in the short term for people who are really rattled by all of this, I don't think there's, you know, I, I think there are a lot of agents who are saying, let's go buy now. It's a great time to do it. I'm not of that camp. But I'm certainly of the belief that if you have a legitimate need to be moving, then yeah, like get out there and see how that goes. 
Um, so it, it's almost like a two-pronged um, opinion on all of this. And, and, you know, it's interesting because for the last little while, we've watched some people think that you can trade real estate like you do stock. You know, that that's a tough thing because, I mean, we've watched, look at the stock market's taken a beating. And, you know, one day it's up, one day it's down. I mean, the roller coaster of that market is insane. But, you know, when we take a look, if we, if we take a look at today's marketplace, you know, yeah, can we see a, you know, partial decline in, cer in certain neighborhoods or in certain price points? I, I, I would say that, yeah, we could see a little bit of a softening. But with inflation and, and most of the inflation being driven by the oil prices, which is, you know, cost of goods being delivered, you know, I think that, you know, we've got to get the, the government to take a hard look at things and say, look, we've got to be able to ease some of this. But one of the uh, one of the reports I saw that was interesting was the fact that because of cost of goods, we're watching a ton of developers saying, look, you know what, we're just going to cancel you know, about 5,000 brand new built condos. Well, you know, you and I both know that if somebody had put an offer in on a brand new condo and now it's going to be retracted, what's going to happen? Well, I think they're going to bounce back into the the existing market and say, well, you know, we wanted to buy something, so we're going to end up looking at, you know, a, a used condo. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, don't even get me started on the impacts of delayed construction or canceled um Oh, come on, Bryn, let me get you started. Well, we're in this, like, okay, so yes, we have a horrifying level of inflation, right? And then we have um, our leaders coming up saying, we're going to help you. We're going to help people navigate inflation by giving you money. Okay, so fine. I'm not an economist, but I'm fairly certain that's how we got here. But whatever. We have a housing crisis from, yes, as we're sitting here and things appear more balanced, it doesn't seem quite as acute. But we do not have sufficient housing for the immigration targets we have. So if what we've got now after, you know, governments noticed how much of a boom, you know, the pandemic real estate development was by taxing, adding on new development fees, what happens in five, six years, you know, down the pike when presumably we're out of whatever this, um, is it a global catastrophic recession, whatever you want to call it. Well, we're not going to have sufficient housing. We already know that this is a problem. So as we're looking at this, it's like everyone is just getting so stuck um, in the immediacy of things. But we still have a broader issue where buildings need to get built because we need housing. And it, was it all a supply problem? No. But when government is cashing in by making development prohibitively expensive, um, those costs get carried on to the consumer. So, I, I mean, I think we have a lot of blame to be um, laying squarely at the feet of the government right now, because I think that a lot of this is... Uh, sort of misery of their own creation. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because for the last few years, the government has tried to figure out how they can control the market a little bit more. So, you know, if you if you force inflation, then that gets, gets them to respond certain ways and takes, you know, certain actions. And again, this isn't going to offer affordability. And, you know, that's the one thing you and I have had discussions in in the past. How do we define affordability when we talk about real estate? Because at what number is it affordable? And then, you know, there's so much repercussion. So let's say you drop the values by half. No matter what, construction, labor, everything else that ensues when we do construction, that's not going to change. Like just because you can drop, you know, value of a condominium and let's say it drops down to 400000 as opposed to 800000 it doesn't mean that the builders will build. And then again, you have that pent-up demand, as you mentioned about, you know, immigration, too many people coming in, not enough housing. So, you know, it's a cycle that it's almost impossible to break, but yet the government's doing everything, I think, in their power to make it difficult. It seems that way. And it's funny because um, my brokerage has these really fascinating sales meetings led by our um, CEO. And he used to work um, at, he is a lawyer at CMHC in the 80s when this all happened last time. 
and watch it. CMHC actually played a huge role in pulling us out of the last sort of housing crash, right? You know, they subsidized um, development. They subsidized, per, you know, purpose-built purpose-built rentals. You know, they actively got involved to help carry things along because there was the recognition, clearly, that on the other side of this, people still will have a need for housing. They will still need, you know, we can't just take a five-year break from development. We have to figure out a way to facilitate it in a way that, you know, um, allows people to still participate. And so I think there's more that needs to be done. But when you look at the fact that by dropping interest rates the way they did, by saying it's going to last forever, the way they pretty much asked everyone who could to jump into the sort of the speculative market because it is such a huge portion of our GDP, well, we're watching it get wiped out in some ways by what's happening right now. So I, I think they need to change tack a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that the government's going to have to be very, very smart in what they do. And and, and again, as, as I said, you know, from an economic standpoint, we know that the oil pressure right now has got a lot to do with our inflationary situation. So I think I think they have to solve a few things that, you know, again, all lead back to real estate eventually. Um, Bryn, always wonderful to have you on the show. If people want to reach out to you uh, to get some either opinion or help in real estate, what is the best way for them to reach you? Oh, you can always find me on Twitter at Bryn Lackey, L-A-C-K-I-E, um, or on my website at BrynLackey.com. Excellent. Well, listen, real pleasure having you back on the show. Look forward to chatting with you in the near future. Thanks so much. Great. Folks, that was Bryn Lackey. And when I come back, I've got Tim Hudak. He is the CEO of Ontario Real Estate Association. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, no stranger to the show. In fact, I cannot believe this number I'm going to give you. So Tim Hudak, he is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Uh, it is it is Canada's largest provincial real estate uh, industry association, by the way, 95,000 realtors. That's not the number I can't believe. It's actually, Tim, you've been doing this for over six years. I can't believe it because I remember interviewing you almost on your first day. It's been six years since you've been the uh, the CEO. Well, it's very kind of you, Todd. Yeah, it's, it was 2016 where I uh, hung up the skates after 21 years in, in uh, politics and in, in provincial legislature. That's a longer sentence than they give you for manslaughter, by the way. So uh, I got out on, <laughs> on good behavior and, and you know, lo- love the job because every day, well, like you, right? Like every day, my feet hit the ground and think about how do we create more homeowners, more property owners in the province of Ontario? And you've been, you've been a great uh, partner in this, Todd. I mean, I, I knew you before that from, from your prominence and on real estate issues, but it's been great to work with you in this new capacity and you know, have me on your, your show uh, so often. And you have been an incredible advocate for uh, home ownership and property ownership and, you know, help help keep uh, the politicians focus on getting the keys into the hands of more people. Well, Tim, I appreciate that. I definitely do. And, and again, it's been a real, really exciting having you on the show, like I said, for the last six years. And again, of course, following your career before that. But, you know, when we take a look at things and, and the one thing, you know, I, I definitely have to give you props is the fact that you have taken, which I feel, the Ontario Real Estate Association to another level. And and why I say that is because you have created so many, you know, instrumental um, approaches and really, you know, I, I guess, you know, having that chat with the government and also encouraging the public to have a better understanding about what is going on uh, in the world of real estate. Well, look, that's really nice of you to say. Um, I I have found it to be uh, very motivating. I, I remember, uh, Todd, I'm sure you have a story like this too, given, you know, your expertise in, in real estate and investment. I, I remember when Debbie and I bought our first home in 2002 and it 
you know, fundamentally changed me as, as a person. I, I cared more about my home, but more money to fix it up. I want to get to know the neighbors, you volunteer in the community. It, 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 to, to quote Judy Garland, there is no place like home, not only because of the investment, but it means to you on an emotional level. And public policy has demonstrated that home ownership builds stronger communities. It is the strength of the middle-class social fabric. And I was very worried that that great Canadian institution of the dream of owning your own home uh, was fading away. And it's been a great pleasure to be on that campaign with you to create more Canadian homeowners. Um, I'm blessed to have, you know, realtors uh, in our association, you're right, 95,000 strong uh, and leaders who are really good by the nature of their personality and talents and getting a message across. And we've had a bit of an all out blitz in, in media and at Queens Park with politicians to sound the alarm bells about declining home ownership and to put good ideas on the table. And we're seeing results. We're seeing a greater degree of professional standards with new legislation. We're seeing the province now committed to building more homes in the province, trying to get the line down on taxes and not going up. And we did have a record number of new homes built last year, as well as rentals. So I feel like we're starting to turn this game around. So, Tim, I do want to talk about, you know, a, a couple of points that you're addressing right now as we speak. Um, one of them, of course, money laundering. It's been in the news. Um, and a lot of times people did talk about foreign buyers being part of the money laundering issue. But I think it's a little bit closer to home. And I think there's more to it than just, you know, pointing the finger at foreign buyers. We know that there's only so many of them that come into play here in Canadian real estate. Can you talk about that and when really what you're trying to achieve by educating not just the government, but the public of this situation. So we are very concerned um, at at Aria and Terry Realtors that we're seeing far too much money being invested in Ontario real estate from illicit means. These could be overseas drug lords that are trying to hide their money in in Canada and real estate. Corrupt officials in corrupt countries that know somebody more corrupt than them is going to grab their money, so they put it into real estate in Western countries, as well as criminal organizations uh, here in Canada like the Hells Angels. And they have an opportunity in Canada to hide behind numbered companies. So you really don't know who those investors are. We've seen other jurisdictions in, in Europe, the United Kingdom, United States crack down and try to stop the dirty money coming in from real estate. Uh, but Canada has been wide open. And, and I know our members don't want to see a single piece of property that could go into the hands of law-abiding Canadians that would go into the, the hands of a niece or nephew of an overseas drug lord. So, Tim, when, when we take a look at the current situation in real estate, you know, we were watching some inflation hit, you know, the overall world economy. We're watching an upward pressure on, you know, interest rates. You know, we still have what, and, and you and I have gone in length on this, you know, we still have somewhat of a shortage of, you know, good viable real estate for people to create home ownership in. And with some inflationary prices on construction, you know, we've kind of got a double-edged sword that we're dealing with, with the real estate market today. You know, what can you, you know, tell our listeners where you think we need to do and what changes need to be made so that we can realize that dream for a lot of people? Yeah, well, just to close the loop on the money laundering. So we've called for what they call a beneficial ownership registry that you could actually know uh, who owns the homes. It could be searchable by average uh, citizens. And that way overseas police could, you know, track down the money that comes into Canada. We, we want to close these floodgates up to $30 billion or some estimates of how much Ontario real estate uh, has been purchased um, by dirty money laundering. The big issue, you nailed it, uh, Todd, as you always do, we need to create more homes. Like it is nuts that we actually built more homes in the 1970s 
Then in the 2000s, we have a lot more people. We have the millennials coming into the, the marketplace as the biggest generation of buyers in our history, uh, immigration. We built fewer homes. Like, no wonder prices have gone up. And, and sure, there might be a bit of a, a breather in the marketplace uh, right now, but we still have far more people who want to get into the market and not enough homes that have been built. I was honored to sit on a housing affordability task force chosen by the premier to be part of that. We set a goal of 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. That's necessary to catch up the lack of building and bring affordability closer to, to home. And now the election campaign is over. Uh, we plan on holding government's feet to the fire and making good on building more homes, particularly starter homes, homes for uh, move up families when the kids come along and quality rentals as well. Yeah, you know, and Tim, one of, one of the things, and, and I'm glad you used the word rentals because now with immigration, you know, our typical scenario is that somebody immigrating to the country for the first time typically don't buy right away. They need to rent, you know, they, they get situated, they get jobs, careers, things like that. So again, not do, only do we have a shortage for, you know, primary use people, you know, moving into their own homes, but we have this issue with rentals and we're watching the upward pressure on the rent rates right now. Absolutely. And a business you know very well. So here's a couple of recommendations we put on the table when it comes to quality rentals. Number one, we need more purpose-built rental uh, properties. The, the tax system actually weighs against them. You pay far more taxes on a rental property uh, than you do on one that's pri that's uh, privately uh, owned uh, uh, by an individual. That, that doesn't make any sense. It should be a level playing field. And the HST also punishes the building of rental we did see 15,000 more purpose-built rentals last year. So that's a very good turnaround. More can be done. And here's number two, you know, allow as of right. And the term as of right means you can do this. It's allowed in the law. Municipalities can't stop you, but allow people to have a secondary suite in their unit, right? Whether it's the granny suites or the attic or what have you, that helps you pay down the mortgage 20 to 23% faster but also would democratize rentals, meaning that people who are renting would have a greater choice of more neighborhoods and schools in our province uh, than just if they're purpose-built. Those two changes you know, could help out more renters, greater quality, greater choice. And most of us right, are renters at some point in our lifetimes and end up that way. Yeah. No, I think that's some great advice. So, Tim, um, you know, obviously our listeners, you know, don't always catch all the press releases. What is the best way for them to find out a lot of the information that you've been able to give us today? So go to orea.com, O-R-E-A.com. That is where we store all of our, our research, our policy proposals, our, our take on, you know, where the market is in the province of Ontario. And also through social media, uh, Aria, whether that's uh, Instagram Facebook and Twitter, if you prefer the social media feed. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, Tim, always a pleasure having you on the show. I thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy, but look forward to you know catching up with you in the next little while and and watching what happens with this market. You bet. My pleasure, Todd. Keep up the great work and, and have a great uh, rest of the weekend. Excellent. Thank you so much, folks. That is Tim Hudak, and he is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. And hey, by the way, if you don't remember, Tim also had his show here on Sundays at 5 p.m. Always was a great listen. So when we come back, we'll have more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my next guest, no stranger to the show. It's just as easy as just to say Dave Butler. But of course, he is the broker owner of BM Select, my go-to person when having any discussion about bank rates, mortgages, everything else. And Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, Todd. I appreciate it as always. Yeah, great having you on. So, you know, you and I, you and I have to, I think we have to beat a few dead horses here today because 
We got to talk about interest rates, of course, you know, upward pressure. We're seeing some changes in the marketplace. Um, a lot of fear mongering going out in the, in the market, Dave, like a lot of people are sitting there making some assumptions and I'm really struggling with these, you know, I had a little bit of a rant today about this, but you know, one of the things that, you know, people are saying, you know, one in four Canadians are going to lose their home. And it's like, I just, I'm absolutely gobsmacked that, you know, people are making even that suggestion, considering that we've had the stress test in place for a full five year term cycle, basically. You know, basically we're running up to the fifth year this year that we've had a stress test in place. So everybody that's been, you know, playing around with these mortgages, they've qualified at a higher rate than what we're dealing with today. A hundred percent right. And uh, on all all accounts, I mean, the fear mongering is, is going to be at its highest, I would say, over, you know, between now and probably the next six months. Um, but the reality is, is I, I definitely don't see, and like yourself, I do not see one in four Canadians losing their homes. The stress test, as you have pointed out, has been in for quite some time. Um, and we are approaching those levels where that stress test will be tested. Um, and certainly, I think we can all agree that, you know, what we're experiencing now with regards to interest rates, it has to be looked at as something that is not long term. Uh, I definitely don't believe that by, you know, the end of, say, 2023, we will see rates in the position that they are today. So I would say that this is likely a short lived pain. Um, like anything, we want to brace ourselves, get ourselves through it and get ready for the next upswing. But the reality is, is most people you talk to, most smart people, and I, I was privy to some conversations with a, a major bank economist earlier in the week, and a lot of this will be temporary. Um, the Bank of Canada obviously has a mandate. They want to get inflation under control. That's what we're being told. They want the headline that they got us out of bad inflation. And certainly uh, that could be at the expense of some pain in the housing market. With that said, the follow-up to that was that he said there was no way they could keep the rates in that level. It would not be able to sustain and that we would see rates come back down. So it's an interesting kind of yo-yo situation that we may find ourselves in, but certainly the fear mongering, as you say, will be at its highest level. Yeah. And Dave, you know, the one thing, and and you and I have lived a lot of different markets, obviously in the, in the real estate world, but you know, back, if, if you look back at 2018, 19, the run-up of interest rates was not uncommon to what we're dealing with right now. We started to see it, you know, the, the demand was curbed right around 2017, foreign buyer tax, everybody kind of, you know, took a breather. But right now, I would suggest that we're dealing with a breather. Like the people that don't have to move, they don't move. And and, and keeping in mind, and, and and maybe you can give us, you know, a little bit more of an accurate number, but here's the thing. Interest rates have just started going up over, let's say, the last five months. Okay, that, that, that's just where we sit. But for the last several years, people have renewed very, very low interest rates. Many, many people take five-year terms. This has absolutely no reflection on them when they had a fixed-rate mortgage. Let's say that somebody January 1st, for example, you know, you, gave, you, you set somebody up, you know, call it 2.1% five-year term mortgage. They don't have anything to worry about right now. Without a doubt, it's insane you're bringing this up because I literally had a conversation with a customer who's also a friend of mine yesterday, and we were speaking about his mortgage. And he's at a 2.49 five-year fix with two and a half years left. He is not shaking in his boots at all. If anything, he's very happy that he has that rate. And he has no, there's no fear at all. He's not feeling what some other people are feeling. You know, he's actually sitting there quite content with a smile on his face happy that he has the rate he had and 
Um, to your point, I mean, it's, listen, if we're talking about the idea of one in four Canadians is going to have a problem with their mortgage is interesting to me because if the rates stay for like this for maybe even eight to 12 months, that means realistically, most people who take a five-year term, you've only got 20% of people that will be coming up for renewal. That's just basic math. Obviously, it's not perfect math, but if we're trying to round about, and of those people, how many of them were taking fixed rates and now taking a new fixed rate? A lot of them will be taking a variable. And to be honest, a lot of people that are working with a broker, working with a banker that they trust, that's willing to give them good guidance, will guide them likely into what I believe should be a flexible rate. We have had in the past 20 years, I can sit here and say that I have only seen these five-year fixed rates three different times in my 20-year career, which means three out of 20 years is not a great percentage. That leads more likelihood that we will see rates come back down into the area where they've been for 85% of the time in the last 20 years. And if that's the case, being on a flexible mortgage, something like a variable rate will allow customers to be able to lock in a lower rate if that happens. And I think that's something that's lost upon a lot of Canadians. If you're in a variable rate, there is a conversion clause in there. It allows you to convert your variable rate to the bank's best fixed rates at any time during your term. So what that means is if I have a renewal coming up and that renewal, I'm going to end up maybe being at a higher fixed rate, maybe instead of taking a fixed rate, I take the variable rate. Because if rates come back down a year later, two years later, whatever it is, I am allowing myself that ability to lock into a lower rate than I would have got today. And that to me is a strategy that certainly a bunch of Canadians should be looking to employ. And I think a lot of brokers and hopefully a lot of bankers will be giving that information to their clients as well. You know, Dave, and, and when you take a look at the numbers out there, a lot of people, you know, they wanted to make accusation that a lot of people were speculating. Quite frankly, I don't think the level of speculation was nearly at what people thought it was. A lot of people have been buying their primary residence over the last several years, especially during the pandemic. I think there was a, you know, there was a certain value put upon owning your own property. So a lot of these people, when they end up buying and closing and moving in, a lot of these people are not going to be motivated to sell. So, you know, here's here's the reality. If you don't have to sell, don't sell. I mean, you know, if, if you got a locked mortgage, you know, that's 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 money in the bank for you. That's great. If you're working with a variable rate mortgage, it's still going to be better than, let's say, a five-year fix today. There is lots of opportunity for people to, you know, be able to maintain what they've got. They can still get into the marketplace because, again, supply and demand. We, you know, we, we, we don't talk a lot about it when we talk about interest rate increases. But the truth is the supply is not getting any better, truly. Well, and it's funny, this, this economist that I spoke to earlier in the week on Monday, he said the same thing. He, as he talked about how interest rates are likely to keep rising temporarily, and he talked about how interest rates will likely come back down. What he did say is that there will definitely be a support level per price and specifically in Ontario. And he mentioned what you and I have been talking about for months and months and months, which is we do not have any hopes right now, immediate hopes on how to fix the supply issue. There is, I believe he was throwing out some crazy stats and he was talking about how literally in the next year, we do not have enough housing for the people that are coming into this country. And that you know, from an economic standpoint, for those that have taken economics or have studied it, if you have supply at a dangerously low level and you still have demand exceeding supply, which it will even with higher interest rates, then price will find a floor at some point and it will not go below that. And that is just normal economics. And certainly, as you talked about earlier, 
if you don't have to sell, don't sell. There's a term in the stock market. If they call it panic selling, they say that retail investors panic sell, right? When the, when the going gets tough. Well, in housing, it's a little bit easier for us not to panic sell because we have houses, we have families, we have our kids are in school. So it's a little easier. But for those that are thinking about it, for those that are worried about it, always remember panic selling at the top of a market is never a good thing. And certainly when I'm talking about the top of the market, I'm talking about interest rates. We do not want to put ourselves in a position where we're panicking, making an emotional decision. And then certainly likely that's going to lead to something in the end that you're going to look back and regret. Um, And we see it all the time. And unfortunately, you know, it happens. But I think the greatest part about you and I and being able to, you know, get our voice out on this type of platform is that we can educate Canadians and, and certainly hopefully help at least a couple of them not make that type of decision. Yeah, I agree. You know, the knee jerk reaction, just because people say interest rates are going up, it doesn't mean necessarily that the value of your property is going to go, you know, the opposite direction. And this is what a lot of people say, you know, right now, there are those people that are trying to achieve the maximum price uh, of of February, but February wasn't a real market, you know, year over year market is still up 10%. If you take a look at June of 2021, and now today, 2022, the market's still 10% higher. So I think everybody needs to stop looking at the, the short-term part of the market and look a little bit long. Uh, Dave, listen, always a pleasure having you on the show. If our if our uh, listeners want to get you, what's the best way to reach you? They give us a shout at our office. The number is one 684 8326 or they can email us. Our email address is info at bmselect.ca. Excellent. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Todd. Thank you. So that was Dave Butler, broker owner of BM Select. Hey, I also want to thank my other guests, Bryn Lackey. You know, she's a real estate columnist, Toronto Sun. I also want to thank Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. You know, great time today. Love having my guests. Um, I do want to thank Ian Grant. He makes it simple for me every single week producing this show. And I do want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. Of course, I'll be back next Sunday as usual at noon. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.